God, we thank you for today. I ask that um, during this Thanksgiving season that, that you would help us truly be thankful for the things that matter, not just about shelter over our head or not just about food, Father, and fellowship and fun. I ask that we would be thankful for who you are to us. Father, the things that um, you do that we never even know about. Father, I ask today that you would give us ears to hear and eyes to see, minds that can comprehend your word, hearts postured before you with fertile soil, and feet that want to run with obedience. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So we are continuing through the book of Acts. Today we're in chapter 17. And... My hope is that as we go through the book of Acts, that you begin to see the story of the Bible take place. So you begin to see what the story was within the book of Acts. So that's why we're going like large chunks of Acts um, each chapter. And then to also be able to take a few things from each chapter that we can apply to our daily life. So um, we have a men's group that we asked, um, I don't know, 16 guys from the church this year. We're going to ask another 16 guys next year from the church to commit to one year of meeting together and worshiping, praying, meeting with, with each other throughout the month one time. And we haven't done a great job at that um, since about the second month, but... Um, and then we, then we read a book, and then we get together, and we talk about this book. We talk about Scripture. And one of the books um, that we read this uh, or last month was The Fear of the Lord by John Bevere. Alan Cathy gave me that book 10 years ago, and I liked it then, and I like it now. So I wanted to share a story and pick on Josh a little bit, because one of the questions that people ask about my vision is, is Joey requiring that I become an evangelist? Do you guys ever feel that way? Since we're a participating church, do you ever feel like I'm requiring you to be an evangelist? Well, good. I'm not. So thank you for um, the honesty. What I want you to do, is, and what I hope that all of us do, is be willing and available to be God's representative wherever we are. If God hasn't called you to be an evangelist, it's not your job to go out and be an evangelist. But inside of all of us, we have to be willing to represent him and be used by him everywhere we go, right? So um, Joshua was sharing at our Man Up meeting yesterday. He said, um, yeah, I got, a, I, got, I got a God praise. I said, tell me about it. He said, my praise is this is I went a little over my lunch and my break to talk about Jesus with this guy from work. And I was using his language, and we're like, well, what does that mean, Josh? Share, share his language with us. So he shared his language. <laughs> and um, he said, you know, I found entryways to be able to speak this guy's language and talk to him about who Jesus was. 
And he said, at the end of, at the end of, at the, end of the uh, conversation, this guy was intrigued and said that he was finally, finally interested in who Jesus was. And that's the long story short. But what I wanted to share, yeah, we, we can affirm that. The long story short about that is Josh was not, um, he was not looking to, um, he didn't come up with a strategic plan of how he was going to evangelize at his workplace. He didn't come with a banner saying you're going to this place or that place if you don't repent. He was just available. And one of the words that he said that they use within the culture of his work is religion. Well, we have religion and you have religion. So what Josh ended up doing is he used the word religion as an entryway into the conversation to talk to this guy. And today what we're going to see at the... uh, bottom half of chapter 17 is Paul is going to use a phrase or use something from that culture to help um, be able to speak about who Jesus is. So sometimes you guys might see me wear a flat bill hat, right? Anyone ever see that? And then when you guys see that, you're like, what a punk. Well, you know what? I'm trying to look like a punk right now. Because I'm not trying to minister to people with beards on right now, right? I'm wearing a flat bill hat so that then this younger generation that I can talk to them, that they're going to say, so you like the saints? No, I don't like the saints. But since we're talking about saints, (laughs) let me tell you about what Jesus says those who believe in him are. We're saints. Oh, you like the lions? Yeah, unfortunately. But let me tell you about the lion of Judah. <laughs> you think it's, you, I mean, you think I'm being patronizing. I'm not. And then you want to, you reach out to a farm community, so then you wear, the, wear this hat that looks like this, right? And just nice and curved. Paul is going to do that today, and Josh did it um, a couple weeks ago. Nevertheless, Um, Acts 17, I'm going to summarize just a little bit in the first uh, paragraph, and then we're actually going to look into the word. So, um, following their release from prison in Philippi, Paul and Silas departed from the city and made their way through um, Amphipolis and Apollonia, arriving in Thessalonica. Now, some people have the question, Why did Paul pass through these two cities instead of stopping? Well, because God had a plan. Paul was on a mission, and and what we believe from what we've seen all throughout Acts is Paul didn't stop in these two cities because he was being led by the Spirit. Now, some others have suggested that um, we see Paul also say that he was to preach first to the who and then to the who? First to the Jew, then to the Gentile. So, Many people have suggested that he didn't stop at these two cities because there wasn't a synagogue there, so he kept on moving. Nevertheless, we're not going to sit there today, just an observation that we're going to keep on moving through. So, um, Paul arrives in Thessalonica. It was named in 315 BC, after the half-sister of Alexander the Great, 
It served as the capital city of Macedonia, northern Greece, after 146 BC. Along with Corinth, um, it was one of the two core cities for commerce or uh, commercial spots in Greece. So that's where Paul is at. He's in Thessalonica. And while he was there, he found a synagogue. So to the Jews first and then to the Gentiles. So his message to them was about what? The death and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And like most people, he was successful in persuading some. But a uniqueness, a uniqueness, whatever, a uniqueness this time around is when he preached Jesus Christ crucified and resurrected, what ended up happening is scriptures say that there were many or a large number of prominent women saying yes to Jesus. So I spent um, not a lot of time, but maybe an hour searching several resources and trying to figure out the importance of this. And I didn't have one that I could clearly extrapolate today. But there was uh, a lot of prominent women that were coming to Christ that Luke felt like he had to mention within the scripture. So something I'll certainly go investigate later. But like we see is while he's preaching and people are coming to Christ and prominent women are coming to Christ and some people are accepting it and others are denying it, usually what happens is when there's a great move of God or when God's moving, there usually comes what? Opposition. So that's what happened. An uproar of evil men started to take place. And it's interesting today, all the uproars that we have over anything and everything, right? I even saw, this blows my mind, there was a Ivy League football game yesterday where um, it was... Before the game, some people went out and they were um, picketing about, or yeah, whatever, rioting basically, on the football field before the game about global warming. So we're not going to talk whether we believe in global warming or non-global warming today. That's not, that's not the case. The idea is there's, there was this uproar and division within our nation that we just think we can go on football fields and say whatever we want to say. Now imagine if us as Christians decided what we thought would be appropriate is to go to the horseshoe and walk on the horseshoe and not let the game start because of Jesus. Imagine what Fox would say. Imagine what MSNBC would say. Imagine what uh, whoever, right? ABC, crazy Christians, nutcases. And you know what? You might be. If you're, if you're going to do that. But there was an uproar started. There was an uproar started because of these men. It started with unbelieving Jews who gathered bad characters in the marketplace and started a riot in the city. Then what they ended up doing is they attacked Jason's house. And this is the first part, verses 1 through um, one through seven, they attacked the house of Jason where they suspected that Paul and Silas were staying. But when they got there, Paul and Silas were not there, so they dragged Jason and some of the other believers to the rulers of the city. 
which led to Jason's arrest. So why were they doing this? What they were, why they were after Paul and Silas is they said that Paul and Silas were preaching of another Lord, of another king other than Caesar. Well, there is another king, and there is a king, and they were preaching about that king. What they said is they said, Paul and Silas are turning the world upside down. That's within the scripture. Paul and Silas are turning the world upside down. Josh Uwa Reams <laughs> is turning the world upside down at his work. They were frustrated because the world that the world thinks is appropriate is leading them to hell. The world that the world thinks that they need needs to be turned upside down. Amen? And that doesn't come by just telling them that everything's okay or tickling ears. It doesn't feel good to be turned upside down. The gospel message of Jesus Christ is supposed to turn your world upside down. It's supposed, it's, uh, supposed to completely change the person's world that they're interacting with. Because the world, yeah, that the world is living in is sending them to hell. So think, I was thinking of like messages that Jesus has preached that have flipped the world upside down, even just contrary to my thinking. So what about this world-flipping message by Jesus? The last shall be first, and the first shall be last. That flips the world upside down, because what, is, what does society tell you? If you have a bunch of money, if you have a bunch of resources, if you get on this committee or on this club or you achieve this, this, or this, then you've lived a really good life. But Jesus says, whoa, 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 whoa. The first will be last and the last shall be first. That flips a world. And when I do that, I feel like I'm opening up a can. What about this world flipping? Let the dead bury the dead. Now, wait a second. Jesus, I'll follow you, but first, I want to go bury my dad. Mm -mm. Jesus says, nope. Let the dead bury the dead. That flips your world, doesn't it? Now, is it does that apply to us today in the sense of Jesus saying, don't ever go to a funeral. No. That was a very specific message um, within very specific context. But it was still a message that flipped someone's world. What about this message? Teenagers seem to love it. You must hate your father. You must hate your mother. You must hate your brother, hate your sister. You must even be willing to hate yourself world-flipping message. Changes everything about the way that you think 
about life. So, so is Jesus saying you should hate people? No. You've heard me say it before, but what Jesus is asking is that you have him in such a far distinct place above everything else. <laughs> this one really freaked some people out. Jesus said, eat my flesh and drink my blood. Could you imagine sitting at dinner with a friend and then him just be like, hey, I want you to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Are you drunk? Are you, are you high? What is wrong with you? See, see, kind of that offense that you get with that is what the gospel will do to an unbelieving world. They're going to reject it. And then just the last one I'll, I'll bring up. Jesus, we love being in your presence. Jesus, we love walking with you. Jesus, you're king. You're powerful. Look at all these people that are coming to know you. Look at all these people who, all this momentum that we're creating. Why don't you be in charge of our city? And then he says, it's better for me to leave. Why would it be better for you to leave? We don't want you to leave. We want you to stay. That's a just completely contrary to what I would think. Like, Jesus, you should be here. But he says, it's better for me that I should leave. If the message of Christ you are preaching does not change the way people think they should live, you probably are not preaching the right message. When I read the Bible, if the Bible doesn't encourage me to live a different way, I'm probably not reading it appropriately. The message of Jesus doesn't change the way that you think. Then we need to pray that God opens up our hearts, amen? The gospel message flips the world upside down and that's why we want to keep quiet. One of the things that I greatly appreciate that um, there's a theme throughout the book of Acts that we're seeing is Paul, as he's submissive to the Spirit and the leading of God, he knows that there's going to be some fruit. He knows that there's going to be some failure. And he accepts that he's going to probably get beaten up for it here and there. It's just going to happen. But guess what he does? He keeps on doing it. The reason why we're not bringing up this world-flipping message that's turning people's worlds upside down is because we're fearful of what may happen to us. And I dare say this, the worst thing that typically happens is someone's going to call you a bigot or someone's going to say that you're judgmental. That's the worst thing that typically happens this day and age. You might lose a friend over it. Okay. Wouldn't it be worth it if your friend got saved? But you're just no longer friends with them? Because it takes 40 years for that reconciliation to take place? It's just our job to do what's right. Paul was willing to just say yes to God in spite of the repercussions. 
So eventually towards the end of verse 9, Jason was released after posting bond. And um, the bond was probably a stipulation that Paul and Silas had to leave town. Why did they have to leave town? Because they were preaching a message that made people uncomfortable. They were preaching a message that kept people accountable. They were preaching a message that was truth about them not being good enough. And you're not good enough, 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 and I'm certainly not good enough. And I usually don't like to be told that either. So now you have these punks coming in, reaffirming that within your own heart, and you tell them that they're wrong. Get them out of here. So if you have your Bibles, verse 10, Acts chapter 17. All right, here we go. If not, it should be on the screen. As soon as it was night, the believers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. On arriving there, they went to the Jenish, Jewish synagogue. I told you guys about my sin several years ago, and you get to listen to me every week. So, now the, the, now the Berean Jews were of more noble character than those in Thessalonica. For they received the message with great eagerness and explained, ex sorry, examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Just real quick. They examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. Do you just believe what pastors say on YouTube and take it for what it is? Do you just believe what I say is truthful because I'm, in, I'm standing up here? Or anyone who ever fills this spot speaking, do you just believe what they say is truthful because they say it? Many of us are being deceived because we're going to YouTube and we're typing in certain sermons. And then these sermons just keep on doing this to us right here. And we really like them. And then we feel really good about ourselves because they told us of how good we were and how powerful we are and how we can do all things through Christ who gives us strength. And the person's like, okay, then I'm going to go buy this Lamborghini and I'm going to forsake my wife and my kids and my mortgage. But Christ said I could do it. We have to be in the scriptures every day. Amen? This is what we told the men's group yesterday. You're only as serious about your marriage as you are praying for it. If you want a successful marriage and family, pray for it. And then we said this, you're only as serious as you are about God as you are reading the Bible. If you just think about God, so what? If all I do is think about how much I love Macy, but no action or no words ever come out to affirm her or to build her up or to protect her, what does that really matter? If all I ever do is just think about God, then I think about God. I believe, strong statement, that we're only as serious about our relationship with God as we are to read the Word. Amen? And this is not the only place that you should be receiving your filling each week. I love that I get to play a piece. Um, I'm honored by it. I laugh that God would call me to this. Um, but I'm honored that I get to speak any kind of life from God's word, words to anyone each week. 
but I'm not the last answer for you. See, what God's going to say one day when I face him is he's going to say, hey, look, here's what I asked you to steward, and here's what you did well, kind of well, and here's what you didn't do well. But you know, what I can't, you know what I can't do is I can't go to God one day and I can't say, well, God, I didn't do a good job as a leader because, because Lyndon or because the elders or because Mark or because, 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 right? My relationship is not dependent upon the elders. My relationship's not dependent based upon any leadership in my life, though leadership can help keep me accountable and guide me and steer me in the right direction. Amen? So that means if the elders are directing me, then that means I submit to them as they lead me because my heart's deceitful, and I realize that if I become my own king, I'm not going anywhere. So the elders help steer and direct so that then I can feel comfortable about the body leading, right? Likewise, you guys, you need those people in your life um, to help guide and direct and keep you accountable even when it doesn't make sense. But it all stems from the Word. Amen? Get in the Word. As a result, um, yeah, so they were eager and they examined the Scriptures every day to see if, Paul, see if what Paul said was true. Verse 12. As a result, many of them believed, as did a number of prominent Greek women and Greek men. There it is again. But when the uh, Jews, and the, um, Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, some of them went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. Why can't you just stay home? You know, like... Why do you got to come here now? Verse 14, the believers immediately sent Paul to the coast, but Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea. Those who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. So Paul leaves. He leaves his team behind, right? He is now by himself in Athens. So Athens was known for education, arts, and idols. And Paul has just now arrived there. So in here real quick, has anyone ever been to Vegas in here? All right, I'm not going to ask how much you gambled. Um, what about like L.A. or New York City? I've basically never been out of Ohio, <laughs> okay? Like, basically, the, the three roads that have ever got me out of Ohio was 75, 70, and 65. Anything that's not on that, I've never been there. So, furthest west is Indianapolis. Furthest east was a um, little outside of Pittsburgh. Either way, for you, you explorers, you world travelers... Um, when you got there, did it ever take your breath away by just the sheer fact of how big it was? Like, oh, this is crazy. The lights, the idols, the statues, 
when Paul gets to Athens, there's something interesting that's about to take place. There wasn't this good, this good excitement that came over him. So verse 16, while Paul was waiting for them, so he's waiting for his team, he was greatly distressed to see that the city was full of idols. So he reasoned in the synagogue with both Jews and God-fearing Greeks, as well as in the marketplace day by day with those who happened to be there. To this point, I don't remember seeing where Paul has ever preached the good news of Jesus without someone by his side. If you read the scriptures, then you can test me in that, right? So read them day by day. And, um, but to this point, I don't remember seeing Paul not preach with someone around him. Therefore, I think that there's strength in numbers. It's usually a lot easier to share with people when you have some like-minded person beside you. So in a marriage, with, with Macy, um, it really helps me because I'm not embarrassed to be a believer around Macy. I'm not embarrassed to pray with Macy. Macy equips me and encourages me that if I feel like I need to talk to someone at Walmart or Yankee Candle or wherever, she provides that space for that to happen. Amen? Now, she also keeps me accountable because most of the time, Macy knowing me really well, she'll see me doing weird stuff. Like, Joey, why are you holding your hand out here acting like you're on your phone when your phone's in your pocket? Because I'm stressing out, woman. And then she'll just say, go talk to the person then. She'll put her hand right here. Go talk to the person then. There's accountability, and, and she sees that there's something going on with my heart, and she stirs up in me to go do it. So then that's where you hear some of the stories. Now, when I'm by myself... I just, not that I won't do it, but there's not that accountability, there's not that strength, and, and I, um, I don't say never, because I don't want to put God in a box, but very, I very carefully ever will say yes to God whenever ministering to a woman without Macy there, right? That's just some good advice, um, but be sensitive to the Spirit if He wants you to do it. So... Um, so Paul is by himself, but because he was so distraught by what he saw, he decided that he's going to minister and preach about Jesus by himself. There's power in partnership, but when the rubber hits the road, if your heart is broken and you are distraught because of the sin, you might as well just go ahead and do it. Amen? So while he was waiting... He was distressed, frustrated because of all the idols in the city. One person said that it was easier to find a God than it was, um, no, sorry, it was easier, yeah, a God, an idol. Um, it was easier to find a God than it was a man in Athens. So there were so many lowercase g gods in Athens that were being worshipped and being honored what they said, it was just easier to find one of those than it was an actual person. There seemed to be a God for everything. And Paul was willing to preach without his friends because of the utter frustration 
that he had. He was distressed with the lack of the one true God being in that city. And if we take a step back and we think about the idols in America, there is no doubt that the Ohio State Buckeyes is not an idol. Football is an idol. Think about these stadiums. The Horseshoe, 104,000 people were there yesterday screaming and beating their chest and ready to go to war. We probably didn't have to because we might have just been able to play the second team. Still beat them. Yelling and screaming. What an idol, right? And then, then you open up all these Christmas advertisements and you see idols of everything. And it's like we've just become numb to it. I don't want to be numb to idols anymore. And you know the biggest idol in our life is usually ourself. The world revolves around me. But Paul was sick of it. So when he went to New York City, he said, holy cow, how could we have a lingerie ad 65 stories tall? How could we have you know, this district where it just accepts sin from this street to this street. And you know what we do as Christians is we just say, oh, that's bad for them. Pray for them. There was distress in Paul. So this made me ask myself the question, when is the last time, I, I asked myself this question truly, when is the last time I was greatly distressed over someone else's wrong beliefs that didn't affect me? That's where the world revolves around me. There, there, there's people making decisions out there where it's like, yeah, God, I hope, I, I pray that you open up their heart, but I'm not distressed over it. You want to know why? Because I feel like I'm doing it right. I don't become distressed over something unless something of someone else's life comes into my circle and begins to affect it. And that's where I'm like, the world just revolves around me. Anyone else? Or am I the only one? So when is the last time you were distressed over someone's soul when it didn't affect you? When is the last time your heart broke for the lost? Because it's really easy to get distressed when sinners who don't, with sinners who politically don't align with us. It's really easy to get distressed with them. It's really easy to get distressed with people who make my life hard. But when is the last time we... We're brokenhearted because our neighbor or a coworker didn't know Jesus. Just that simple. Just your hardworking neighbor that works 70 hours a week leads a decent American family will mow your grass and shovel your driveway when it snows. He'll even come every year and give you a Christmas card. But they don't know Jesus. 
we must possess brokenness within our culture again for the lost and the hurting. Because we have a tendency to first be broken for ourselves because what other people make us have to do. We get frustrated when people get into our circles and require something of us. Paul saw the idols, realized what the idols meant, and he was brokenhearted and willing to make a move in it. I'm afraid that we have become so desensitized that we as Christians are allowing ungodly things into our lives. In return, we are never experiencing the same heart of distress. God help us. God help us. My prayer for the past several weeks, here's what I know is, God, I don't know what I don't know. And I just know that I'm missing something. God, open up my heart to more of you. If this nation wants to become a Christian nation again, if this community and the communities that we represent is going to serve God with, with a purer heart, with a heart heading in a pure direction, is going to first come when we ask him to open up our heart to him once again. And then when he does that, we say yes. Amen? Open up our hearts to you so that we can mourn, so that we can be distressed. So Paul's broken heart led to him preaching truth immediately and regularly. It led to him reasoning with them. How could he reason if he didn't have any knowledge to reason? Reason with your kids at home, right? Reason with your friends at work. Reason with your church members who are heading in the wrong direction. Know the scriptures so that you're not preaching a lie, but you're reasoning with truth. I believe that though it's a gospel that turns people's worlds upside down, it's still a reasonable faith. Because I believe that God puts something inside of us that says, yes, it's real. That's reasonable. Amen? So reason with the people around you. And that's what Paul was doing. You're like, Joey, you're not convincing me that you're not telling me to be an evangelist. I'm not. I'm just saying be available. So um, many of our hearts just fill up with momentary emotion and submit to our fear rather compassion, rather than compassion. So we see someone in need or we get frustrated because of the sin in Vegas or the sin in Columbus or the sin in Mechanicsburg and our hearts well up with this momentary compassion. Anyone ever been there? Like, oh, my heart's broken. Oh, my heart's broken. And what most of us end up doing is we submit to our fear rather than that compassion. If God created the whole earth, everything in it, if God can span everything in his hand, then if God asked you to give away your last five dollars, why couldn't he put another five in there? And let's not even make it about money. If God wants you to pray for someone, 
why isn't he going to protect you? See, we get caught up in these momentary moments of compassion or distress, but we submit to fear and not God. And as the book that we read um, reemphasizes, is the beginning of all wisdom is the fear of the Lord. So who do I fear more when I submit to man, man or God? When I'm unwilling to give my last five or when I'm willing, unwilling to pray with or unwilling to encourage, what that says is, who am I a slave to? Man, I think so. Now, we're never going to do it perfectly, and I'm not preaching a works gospel either because no one can earn it. But what I realize is this, is, oh, how great God is, and it's not about you, and it's not about you, and not about you, and not about you, and not about you. It's not about me either. And when I realize how far I fall short that, that I'm still somewhat fearful of man and a slave to man, then I realize how great God is. I realize that I can no longer convince myself that I'm good in anything. I realize that, that I can't convince myself that I'm worthy or deserve. I hate the word deserve in this generation right now. I was telling Macy about it uh, last week and then we sat with a bunch of young people and then they just said, I deserve this and I deserve this and they deserve that and I almost puked. You know what I deserve? Hell. I deserve that. And the more that I live out this life and I realize how infallible I am, it makes me say it's not about me but it's just about the the message that's flipped upside down and what that message is is Jesus Christ died on the cross and he rose from the grave three days later. And when I realize how messed up I am and how far I fall short, then that draws me closer to him because of his grace and his love. That how could he love a wretch like me? And that's what sets me free. And if that sets me free, then why would I want to see someone else set free? I don't want to just be full of momentary emotion. Because that results in good intentions rather than reasoning with people. Paul was so distraught that he dropped everything to reason with them the word. His distress wouldn't save them. And your distress won't save people either. But you know what, Will? Preaching the good news of Jesus Christ to them and allowing them to make a decision. Our emotions for people around the world is not saving them. But you know what our emotions do is our emotions tell us that because we feel something, and thank you today, Ryland, for the emotional announcements. That was really nice. Um, you know what our emotions tell us? Because you feel this and because you have compassion, that you're okay. But my emotions and my heart lies to me. It's the gospel that brings change. And you see, Paul was okay with a few people or a few receiving the word. He knew going into it that not everyone that he shared the word with was going to receive it. And he was okay with it. 
we often only seem to be okay if we know we're going to have success. Paul, as he goes to these three different cities, he's preaching and letting God fill the seats. Letting God um, open up the hearts of those who need to receive it. We must be able to reason with those around us. I'm not saying that every one of you in this room is an evangelist or pastor or teacher or prophet. But if you are his child, you're called to make disciples. (laughs) I wrote in my notes, but by golly. I don't know if I'm supposed to get emotional or something here. But by golly. I feel like I need to have a big dip in or something and then. But by golly. Quit having good intentions with your loved ones who are not here today. There's people in this room who are loved by you, who love you, that you want to be in here, but you're afraid of the confrontation. There's loved ones who are across the world or across America who you you know need to be in church, but you've avoided that conversation, right? So by golly, quit having good intentions with them and reach out to them about the good news of Jesus. Yeah, they might get mad. Yeah, they might tell you they hate you. They're certainly going to call you a hypocrite. But isn't that okay if they get saved? It is. Paul was not comfortable with false gods and people worshiping things that didn't matter. Yet, we celebrate them. Idols of sex, materials, sports, growth, money, status. When someone sees your life, do they see idols or do they see God? So let's continue. We're going to have to skip a few things. Um, But um, verse 18. A group of Epicurean and Stoic philosophers philosophers began to debate with them. So um, Epicureanism is a system of philosophy based on teaching of Epicurus. It teaches that the greatest good is to seek modern pleasures in order to obtain a state of tranquility, freedom from fear, and the absence of bodily pain. That sounds like someone I don't want to hang out with. And I'll certainly find them in Yellow Springs, right? If you're from Yellow Springs, we also love you. But, can you mute me for a second? Just kidding. And then the Stoicisms, or Stoicism, right? It taught that the virtue, that virtue is the highest good. It's based on knowledge. The wise live in harmony with the divine reason and identify with fate and providence that governs the nature and are indifferent to the um, vicissitudes of fortune and to pleasure and pain. Vicissitudes is a fun word, isn't it? I looked it up. I remembered what it meant three days ago. I don't now. I'm just happy I said it right, I think. But you don't know if I said it right or not. So, 
That's who he was dealing with. These, these philosophers, these, these people who had this idea of religion. And um, those are hard people to deal with sometimes, aren't they? You know, sometimes I feel this way that it just feels like they're so stuck in what they know and their idea of science and nature that there's such a wall there that you can't ever break it. They're just hard to deal with. And Paul's here dealing with this sort of people. It was like really smart people, maybe Einstein's and Aristotle's. Um, Basically what I'm saying is they were some... Paul's getting ready to preach to some interesting cats. And we're wrapping up. So um, let's continue in the scripture. Some of them asked, what is this babbler trying to say? Others remarked, he seemed to be advocating foreign gods. They said this because Paul was preaching the good news about Jesus and the resurrection. Then they took him and brought him to a meeting of um, meeting of the, uh, sorry, Areopagus, where they said to him, may we know what this new teaching is that you are presenting. You, uh, You are bringing some strange ideas to our ears, and we would like to know what they mean. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. So, verse 22. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, People of Athens, this is what's important and this is what Joshua did. I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. So you are ignorant of the very thing you worship, and this is what I'm going to proclaim to you. So Areopagus was this cliff, big rock, 350 feet in the air that many people would go and just talk about ideas, um, also known as Mars Hill, 370 feet actually. Um, But to this point of all the things that they've discussed, they haven't discussed Jesus. So you know what Paul says? Is I can tell that Athens is missing God. So he observed, he observed the culture. He paid attention to the culture. He he looked to see what was going on in the area. And he saw the little plaque that said, to the unknown God. What an entryway, right? So you're going to give me the opportunity to speak. There's no better way to introduce Jesus than to say this. I see that you're very religious. Let me talk to you about this unknown God that you have an idol for. That's really good, isn't it? So when you see the flat bill hats, or you see the curved hats, or you see the Buckeye shirts, or whatever they may be, I see them as all entryways. I've done some really strange stuff before, trying to find that entryway where it would have just been better to talk about Jesus than like, so what do you think about this heaven-scented candle? 
Are you, are you heavenly? You're weird. <laughs> so I've been told. Weird stuff. But Paul paid attention to that. So when Joshua used a statement that they use at his workplace, that was just an entryway. Amen? Start looking for those entryways with people that you are around. And usually just asking people what they think about an afterlife opens up that gate. Because if you give someone an opinion, they usually like to talk about their opinion. And then you ask them if you can share yours. Let's wrap this up. This is Paul's sermon, and then we're going to um, get out of here. Verse 24. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by human hands. He is not served by human hands as if he needed anything. Rather, he himself gives everyone life and breath and everything else. From one man he made all the nations, that you should inhabit the whole earth, and he marked out their appointed times in history and boundaries of their lands. Just real quick, I know you West Liberty people are complaining, God, why couldn't you create me to live in Mechanicsburg? I get it. You Logan Countyers, why? God needed you there. And us Mechanicsburg people, why did God create me in the winter? Why did he give us four seasons? Why did he put us in this podunk little village? Can I get a witness? Why? Right here. He appointed your time. In history, he could have created you 2,000 years ago. He could have created you 4,000 years ago. He could have created you yesterday. But he's put you where you are for a very specific reason. To not only bring him honor and glory and to make an impact in this world and make disciples, but also because he wanted to. So um, that's what he's sharing with them. Let's continue. God did this so that you would seek him and perhaps reach out to him and find him though he is not far away from any of us. We really could have took 24, this whole sermon, and preached about it, but uh, we didn't. So, um, yes. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of our own poets have said, we are his offering. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone an image made by human designs and skills. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day where he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to everyone by raising him from the dead. When they heard about the resurrection of the dead, some sneered. Others said they wanted to hear, hear you again on this subject. Um, at that, Paul left the council. Some of the people became followers of Paul and believed. 
Some sneered, some sneered, right? Some wanted to hear more. Some became believers. When you talk to your family and your coworkers and your neighbors, the same thing's going to happen. Some are going to sneer. Some are going to be interested and some are going to get saved. Amen. You're not always going to see people get saved, but it's about planting the seeds. So the main points, if you want to write, um, write these notes down. In this sermon, Paul's main, main points, I'm going to fly through these so we can get out of here. God is the creator of the universe, number one. He made the world. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. He does not dwell in temples made with human hands. Number two, he is the sustainer of life. He gives to all life their breath and what they need. Therefore, God is not worshipped as though he needs it. God doesn't need our worship. Some people think that God created us because he needed us to worship him. That's blasphemy. It's not truth. God doesn't need us. Number three, God is the ruler of the earth. He has created every nation and determined their rise and their fall. God has marked out where he wanted you to live and your boundaries. Everything is designed to propel us to seek God. And God isn't far from us anyways. Number four, God is our father. We come from God. In him we live, move, and have our very being. Last point. God is the judge of the world. He now commands everyone in the world to repent. God will judge the world in righteousness. God will judge the world through Jesus Christ. Amen? So quick description, quick prescription, and then we're out of here. So your description of this week, very short. When we study um, the journeys of Paul in the book of Acts, we're observing the redemptive plan of God unfolding as he promised. Through obedience, Paul is preaching to three different cities and seeing some fruit. He preached to many different people who had many different beliefs. Some rejected the message. Some were reluctant of the message, while others repented. Whether Jew or Gentile, philosopher or average Joe, the gospel is for everyone. Amen? That was our description. Now the prescription is pretty, uh, pretty short and sweet. Ask God to send you this week. God, will you send me this week? Ask God to reveal to you your idols. What am I idolizing? And then write down a name somewhere of someone you want to share the gospel with and take that thought into action. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for you. Thank you for what you've done. Thank you for um, this tree that just reminds us of all the things that we're thankful of and for. And there's even more to it. Father, um, may we be sent this week. I pray that as we gather around the table, 
realizing in here, Father, that not everyone, not everyone's going to share the good news. But make it clear to us, Father. Make it just extremely clear to us when it's our time to just speak your word. Father, we see that Paul passed a couple cities. So maybe we need to pass a couple neighbors because they're not fruitful or they're not ripe. But I pray for our families and friends that are ripe this week that you would make it just abundantly clear to us that it's time to preach the good news of Jesus. Give us entryways, Father. In Jesus' name, amen.